So we are now under a king. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to The Writer and the Critic, a monthly podcast devoted mostly to books, reviews, and whatever else takes our fancy. I am your host, Ian Mond, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kirsten McDermott. Welcome, Kirsten, to another podcast. Hello. Another one of our podcasts, even better. Oh, no, it's just another random <laughs> podcast <laughs> out there in the world. Oh, dear. Out there. Do you know how many podcasts are out there? Almost as many as there are human beings with a laptop. I was going to say, I was going to say grains of sand, but <laughs> mm. yeah, there's a lot. Anyway, that was an odd way to start the, the yeah. odd way to start the episode. <laughs> um, we, we're recording this just to just to put this episode in a time capsule. Um, we're recording this tenth um, of yes, September, so a couple of days after the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, I am not wearing black, and, and more and more importantly, yes. A couple of days after the passing of uh, Peter yes, Straub. Yes, true. Yes, very well said. Yes, and also the passing, the, the tragic passing of Peter Straub, actually. Um, I, but I, I was going to say that I'm not wearing black, like every newsreader in the Commonwealth at the moment. So I just wanted that to be known. I am wearing black, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to make the effort to not wear black, so. <laughs> so, so this will be our... Queen Elizabeth and I suppose Peter Straw podcast in memory of. Will it though? Well, I don't know. I mean, okay. Um, <laughs> given it's funny because given the stuff we're talking about today, like Peter Straw would have would have loved help me. I think that would, that would, mm. would have been right down his al- up his alley. I I think so. I think so. We, well, we'll we'll get to. I guess the discussion of the books, um, yeah. As you get, it's it's a truism, right? As you get older, the the um, the, the people you know are also getting older. More deaths of people that you know and know of and know tangentially will will happen, right? But this one this one hit me quite hard actually, and it was your thing on Facebook. That's the first I'd actually heard of it. Really? <laughs> yep. Because I, I just, you know, look, it wasn't picked up by the ABC News, and that's the thing I, I normally kind of look at. To be fair, the New York Times uh, had an obituary up in two seconds, so that's how I knew about it. Yeah, but what I'm saying is I normally just look at the Australian ABC News feed as ah. the first thing I look at in the morning. And, and then I flicked over to Facebook and, and just happened to be that your post was the first thing that was right there on Facebook. <laughs> it was like, oh, no, Peter Straub. And, and then I got quite unexpectedly deeply well, sad yeah i mean he was only yeah. 79 a he was only 79 i i actually thought he was um like i thought he he would have been well into his like mid to late i don't know days, why so you would have thought that surprise as well. i don't know on what basis because i don't know i because he has been a writer that i have known about literally my entire life even before i first sort of came across him in, as a reader, because my mother had a floating dragon on her bookshelf, which is a, one of his massive, massive books, a really thick black spine with floating dragon and Peter Straub or Straub, I'm not sure, Peter Straub in, in red. So I, this was a writer who has literally been here, like Queen Elizabeth, my entire life. So you just think 
people who have been there your entire life are much, much, much older than you. I don't. I often think of them as just a little bit older than me and therefore um, I assume that, for example, Stephen King is uh, in his early 50s. I know he's not. Uh, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> No, because like, I guess because, you know, Peter Straub for me was like when I was a kid like in a, and a child not even like a teenager child like he was uh, like an adult and a person who wrote a book on my mother's bookshelf so he must have been like yeah, already yeah i understand i get what you're saying <laughs> to a 10 year old <laughs> you know? so um so in my head that was where it was fixed so it was yeah it was a surprise he was only 79 which just just makes it even sadder if we'd been like Queen El- like Elizabeth Windsor was 96. That's a good age. You know, if I get to 96 and I'm still walking my corgis or whatever, I-, I won't have corgis, but whatever animals I have in my life, I will be very, very happy with myself and my life. If we'd been smart, Kirsten, and maybe we can do it now. I mean, there's, I mean, there's still time to do it, but we would repost episode 17 of this very podcast where, do you even remember? I bet you don't even remember. Houses Without yes, Doors. correct. Uh, do you remember who the, of course do you I remember remember. Who the guest was? No, so, that I don't remember. I remember we, we had a it guest. Was, it was Mr. Shearman. Like, I was about to say Rob Shearman, but I remembered that he um, recommended the... Shalom Aslander. Shalom Aslander book. I it's can't remember Hope. the name of it, the one about yeah. Frank. Hope, that's it. Well, no, I, I, don't, I, I think we definitely should repost it because that is a cracking short story collection. It is. It is. That was that was one of the first books of Peter Straub's I actually read. Um, to this day, I don't think I've read Floating Dragon, <laughs> that book my mum had on her shelf, because it's so big. Like, it's so big. Probably not that much bigger than a lot of Stephen King books that I read. Uh, you know, started I always got a feeling, uh, for me, um, you might have been the same, is that you, ch- you had to choose between the two. Like, which was the big horror writer? Because I didn't. I've not read a lot. I haven't read Coco or Mystery mm. or Floating Dragon or Pixar. I mean, obviously I've read Talisman. Obviously we've read House Without Doors, and I know I've read Mister. Is it Mister X? Uh, I know I've read others. Um, I don't think I. But read. I chose. But the point I'm making is I chose between you chose King and King, and I chose King in terms of big fat horror novels. Right. Not that's, that's really interesting. And so Dean Koontz uh, didn't did. get a look at all. Dean Koontz, everyone. I mean, that's just, that was just part of the background noise, <laughs> Dean Koontz. The thing about Straub is that what's interesting is for me is that where, whereas King was was undiluted horror, Straub played in mm. a couple of different genres. Now, obviously, Ghost Story is the famous one, but he played in detective fiction and things like that. And so yep. I thought, oh, I'm yep. only a horror reader, so I'll put him aside. That was in the days when I literally only read horror. So... I, I'm, I may be wrong and I may be misremembering, but I believe I only started to read Peter Straub after I read Talisman, which was, to be fair, fairly early on. And I, I think it was another book my mum had on her shelf, maybe. Uh, and so having read the Stephen King-Peter Straub collaboration, because I was already aware of Straub as an author as well, I think that's what maybe got me to read Peter Straub for himself. And yeah, like as I've, I've definitely not read everything he has written because he has quite an impressive oeuvre. But yeah, I, I, I love Ghost Story. I think I have to read Ghost Story again. Yeah, I've never read Ghost Story, which is, I've never read Ghost Story, which is a, a criminal act. I have read Shadowland that I have read. And that was amazing. Shadow, Shadowland I actually read very young. 
And I don't think I'm, I should reread it because I don't think I fully understood it when I was a mm. bit younger. I definitely need to reread Grace Story. I'm I'm pretty like that might have been the first straw I read after Talisman. But I distinctly remember the Hellfire Club was out when I was in my mm. early twenties. It was one of those mm-hmm. books that I just saw everywhere, and and I always and I always had it in my hands, but I never read it and I never bought it. You never read and it. I never bought it, <laughs> but I always had it in my hands. I did. No, I, that's that's definitely one that I bought when it came out and read. It's not one of my favourite Straubs, but yeah, I, I will have to read Ghost Story because it probably has been more than twenty years. Definitely has been more than twenty years, and I, I would would get so much more out of it now. I will say that I think that um, the Buffalo Hunter is one of the greatest short stories ever written, which is mm. what we discussed. One of the stories we discussed. He was a a magnificent writer of short fiction. He crafted short fiction exceptionally well and it was strange and weird and and I love, love his short fiction. And I think Houses Without Doors probably remains my favourite Stroud book of the ones that I've read. There may be others I'm yet to read that I will like more, but I just, it's so strange and so you're you're unbalanced throughout so much of that book. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful collection. Yes, it is amazing. So that's why we should repost that episode, Kirsten. I shall. Okay, I will. I will dig it out and do an actual repost. It was definitely out before the Patreon, so if anyone um, has only kind of listened to us from that time, they may not have even seen it. If you haven't gone back, I don't know why you haven't gone back. People, doesn't everybody do that? Doesn't everybody find a new podcast and just spend the next however long it takes to go back and listen to every episode? That's what I do. <laughs> Weren't you bemoaning literally like yesterday on Facebook that you just discovered that there's 24 hours in a day? No, no. I didn't just discover that there was 24 hours a day. I discovered that it applies ah, to me. Yeah, okay, and that you can't do everything. Well, that applies to people who can't go back and listen to two-hour-long episodes of a podcast. We were pretty long. We were pretty long well, back in Well, in that day, episode yeah. we did three books, <laughs> and but Rob's very entertaining. Yeah. It's actually worth listening to. It is a really good one. On that note, um, let's get going. Let's segue into a let's short story going. or novelette. <laughs> Maybe we can introduce what, like both of them that we're talking about this we episode. We could, first. but look, let's be honest. If you <laughs> it'll be in the title of the uh, podcast, so why bother? Okay, it's Help Meet by Naben Ruthenman and Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. Okay, is that good? Have I done? Have I done my? Have I done my duty? Sure. Uh, Help Meet. You chose this book. Uh, I did, Kirsten, I did. and it is amazing. But please tell us about it. So, I've been not like like systematically, but I have I am slowly working my way through Undertow Publications <laughs> catalog of um, a, a lot of short story collections, but also some standalone novellas and longer works. Undertow is also the I guess the publishing house, and Michael Kelly, who's responsible for the weird horror magazine, online magazine, and print, it's in print as well, um, that comes out, which is uh, such a good, good read. And they are publishing both within Weird Horror and within, through Undertow themselves, um, just some standout contemporary horror fiction, really good stuff, really strange stuff. We've talked about a couple of them on the podcast, mainly because I've (laughs) said I wanted to. Uh, I this is my new favourite small press, without a doubt. I love I love the stuff that Michael Kelly's um, bringing out. And full disclosure, I, I have a story coming out in Weird Horror 
um, I think maybe the next issue, but anyway, sometime this year, um, which I was so excited to have accepted because like it's then, you know, it's not like they've been around forever, but it feels like a definitely a career goal for me to get published in Weird Horror because I love that magazine and Undertow publications you know, unreservedly at this point. They are just doing such good, good work. So... I saw a helpmate come out earlier this year and there was a little bit of buzz around it, uh, mainly about how gross and disturbing it was. It's like, oh, well, that's shot to the top of my list. <laughs> Let's make that a podcast book. I didn't realise it was a, a short novella. I thought, it, I thought it was closer to novel length, but that's good because I don't have a lot of time these days. There's 24 hours applied to me and apparently also I need to sleep. So, wow. Um, it's not even 24. It's very, very disturbing. So I'll read the uh, the little description that we have for the book. It's 1900 and Louise Wilk is taking her dying husband from Manhattan to the upstate Orchid Estate where he grew up. Dr. Edward Wilk is wasting away from a mysterious affliction acquired in a strange encounter, but Louise soon realises that her husband's worsening condition may not be a disease at all but a transformative phase of existence that will draw her in as much more than a witness. Which is nice. It's good. Doesn't really, I mean, a mysterious affliction and wasting away sounds a lot more yes. Victorian gothic. Yeah, this is not a case of tuberculosis. <laughs> and and quiet, quiet coughing into a yes. slightly blooded yes. handkerchief than it is. This this is um, the, it, it's, yeah, one of, one of the more extreme works of body horror that I've read in recent years. So if you're squeamish, this is probably not a book for you because it 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 is pervasive. It 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 is seeped through the whole book, the rather disturbing and graphic descriptions of what what Edward is. The thing is, is Kirsten, what the fuck is this book? <laughs> what do you it, mean? This is in the in the best possible way, by the way. Not 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 what the fuck is this book, why was it written, oh my God, but like what you've described there is a perfect summary of at least the first ten pages. It's it's the setup. Yeah. It's the setup of book. But what is? The, but I, I don't. I can't. I'm struggling <laughs> to to summarize to explain what this book is. I mean, because it goes. And I genuinely don't want to spoil it because it takes some unexpected turns. You think, wait, what? Why? Who? Not, not in a confused way. Can I just say this? It's very clear, clarity, comprehensible. Yep. But you're thinking, what? Yeah, the writing style of this book is is just. It's very. It's kind of reflective a little of the time in which it's set. It, it has that, um, I guess, very traditional sort of um, early 20th century sort of stuff. Not. Not completely. Um, Ruthenham does a really good job of writing what feels like a very contemporary book, but in a style that, you know, points back to to the time yes. period. It's reflective of the time period, yes, the style, correct, but you're right, not, not completely um, wedded to that tone. But mm. it's more the fact that I felt that it was a book where it was joining a bunch of different things that I've never seen joined together in any, you know, <laughs> whether it's the body horror, as you say, but also mm. the reason why he's essentially rotting away is in of itself a story about infidelity, which then becomes a story. And again, I'm really, I don't really want to spoil it, but becomes a story about um, an entity, which is where as far as I'm going to go. And, and, and you, but in between that, there's actually a villain who's 
who we're get, who we're going to meet. But he's not the same. It's brilliant because I've just not seen it done that like. No. Cascade that way. And, and this is, like, as we said, this short, I, th- I think it's about 20,000 yeah, words. It's less than that. And the amount that Ruthenham has compressed into this story without it seeming overburdened or, you know, t- too much or, and, and, you know, maybe there should have been some room to breathe because there are still, like, spaces to take a breath. It, it's just really amazing. Like it's, it's quite astonishingly good. Um, I'm I'm very very impressed by what he's managed to do in this story. The the layers of having this quite mannered writing with the gruesomeness of what's happening to Edward, and, and layering in the, the the social aspects. Yeah, the and, class a, the yeah, class aspect say, is, the, is key, and but also this could easily just have been a basic revenge story where. Husband tells wife, you know, whatever. Um, I, I I had sex with lots and lots of women, and and now I have an incurable form of syphilis. Uh, yeah, well, at, at the beginning, that's the the assumption that that has yeah. been made. Like by the time the actual story opens, that that is off the table. But we. Uh, we, we are let known that that was originally that was the assumption because to begin with a lot of Edward's symptoms reflect late stage syphilitic decline. So he, and he's even he was even seen by a, sort of a renowned expert um, physician who, who in I guess you know, maybe sexually transmitted diseases as a whole, but certainly in syphilis who who takes one look at Edward and says this this is not my disease and just gets the <laughs> fuck out of there. He wants nothing more to do with it. And, again, all of that is like that has all happened before the story opens. And it this this book, again, for like 20,000 words or whatever it is, it, there is a lot of so much backstory in there that doesn't feel like backstory. Like it does like it's not that thing where it's like, oh, and now we'll fill you in about – like it's woven just so in, organically in into fact, the narrative. this is one of two – Similarities between the second book we're going to discuss, which that they both, mm. one is the body horror aspect and the second is that they both really weave backstory in really smartly in mm. a way that's just, just, just re- uh, yeah, because yeah. because it's not, it doesn't feel lumped on. Uh, there's a confessional aspect, obviously, to it, as mm-hmm. Edward explains how to Louise what, you know, what's happened. Well, he doesn't actually know what's happened to him, but what he thinks, he, you know, but he's passed. What the yeah, cause was. Correct. What the cause and, was. And, yeah. uh, and that's, but it's really well handled. And again, it could easily have been a revenge story where Louise decides to, you know, make his pain far worse than it already clearly is. But it's not. It completely turns around. Yeah. I mean, it becomes a completely different story halfway through. One of the really interesting aspects to help mate is, is Louise. The physical decline, decay you can accurately describe it as of Edward as is really graphic. And it is graphic from the point we enter the book. This is, as I said, a lot has happened before the point where we pick up the narrative. So he's already in a very advanced stage of physical deterioration and he's going to his estate where he grew up to die and he won't have much time left. And they know that. And the idea is that they will go to this estate and they will have their last weeks, maybe just days together out of sight of interference or prying eyes or whatever. And Louise is just very stoic. She She's not entirely, if at all, repulsed by his physicality. She was a nurse. They met when she was a nurse. Um, Edward is a doctor. 
and they met at a hospital where they both worked. And she is, uh, I guess, quite used to physical ailments in people, probably not as extreme as her husband's, but she is very stoic and she's very able to quasi-compartmentalise her 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 nurse side and her wife yeah. side, and they coexist. And there's a there's a wonderful line that I I can't read because it spoils something, but it reflects this idea that the nurse the nurse is doing something to attend to Edward, while the wife is looking on. And this these two sides of herself inhabit obviously the same space, and she manages to to do that, but. She she loves her husband and she has known about his she was an infidelity, right? Their relationship began as yeah. an infidelity. So she knows about this and this is something she has, for better or worse, accepted. And she loves Edward regardless. And she doesn't really care. I think she cares maybe in, in what it's done to him. And maybe if it, if it was syphilis or something like that and she had acquired it, maybe she would care a little bit more. But um, it doesn't affect her physically in terms of her health. Um, so she's very sad that her husband is dying, but she is not morally provoked, I guess, by his, his infidelities and what he's done, which is a really interesting character to sit alongside in this story and the way she she cares for him and the very matter-of-fact nature of her observances and her, her care and how she interacts with, you know, the other uh, women who come to see him, who she knows must have had some dalliance. At some point, they're a bit more upset than they should be. And, and you could um, argue that th- this know. is a weakness in her character, that she should be more forthright. And more, uh, but it's not. It's not, though. She's very forthright. This is the thing. She is not a weak person. She's an extremely strong person and she is very forthright and she speaks her mind to everybody and she doesn't let herself get run over. And it is simply a matter, as I think she says to Edward at one point or maybe to one of to one of her acquaintances, she doesn't care. This this is Edward's failing, his, his infidelities, and she knew that from the start and she accepted that that was part of it. And it's not as though they, this seems to wound her. It doesn't. She really doesn't care. And so it is what it is. And, you know, maybe back in the 1900s when this is set or the you know turn, turn of the, the century, I guess, you know, the idea of an open marriage, of polyamorous relationships and so on, would certainly not have been something. It's not that those relationships didn't happen. They did, and we, it's documented. But they certainly would not have been something that was um, talked about in, in the sort of society that yeah, Edward and, uh, and what's... inhabit. So, so that we may and, – and, like, if she was – if this was set now, this may be a relationship where it's like, well, this is what we do. This is our relationship. We have an open relationship, and maybe Louise does or doesn't also have um, other people she sees, or you know, maybe she doesn't, and, and it's just Edward. I mean, this is a, a type of relationship that we, that we would negotiate with a bit more, I guess, flexibility these days and a bit more openness, pardon the pun. But, but that was not the case in the 1900s. And, and, and that's where she is. She, she literally doesn't care. It's not like she cares and she's hiding it. It's not like she, she's hurt and she's trying not to be. Um, she literally doesn't care. And to the degree that she, I mean, oh, she literally gives herself over to her husband, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah, let's not spoil the very ending, uh, which is amazing. And I've not seen that type of execution before. I've never, I've not, I've not. It was, in, in, in this, in this, in this, this, this was, this was as refreshingly original as anything you're ever going to come across. Mm. I, that's what I'm saying. I yeah. don't understand how he gets to this point. I, yeah, the, I don't know how Nabeen's pulled it off. I don't understand what trick he's pulled to make this um, make this happen. It's it's a mag- it's a magician's because it shouldn't work. <laughs> I know. I, I don't know. Why we, I don't know why we're skirting I around. Think, spo- I think the part reason why we're skirting it, around spoilers is because it is so short. Mm, That's why. I think part of what makes it work is the narrative style of Helpmate is. Quasi omniscient. Yeah. It, the story is told from the point of view of Louise, uh, and even when we get Edward's direct point of view, it's because what is being re- like he's recounting something to yeah. Louise. So we don't see anything that Louise doesn't see, hear, know, feel. But the narrative style, possibly because it it you know it does draw from narrative styles of the past does have this feeling about that that it is uh, like as a quasi omniscient and it brings with it then that that authority we we don't feel that louise is hiding anything even from herself yep. because the style is is presented as a in you know in that authority that an omniscient narrator has where where this this is what it is this is the case i'm telling you i know everything this is how it is and so it's got kind of that gloss to it like the voice of that that narrator is it has such authority. You're not questioning um, the reliability of the narrator. You're not. You're not questioning how Louise f- says she feels and thinks and all of that. Never becomes a point for me, at least, where I was thinking, oh, maybe she's deluding herself, or maybe there's something she's not telling us, because the the narrative voice is so forthright and so authoritative in its presentation of of the facts, and that's a big part of it, I think, because you. You don't ever, you're never questioning what you're being told and whether something's being withheld and whether something's um, not quite as, as you've been told it, whether that's because the, the narrator is deliberately hiding it or whether they just don't know. So it's quite clever to use this sort of a style of voice to get the reader immediately on the side, such a short novella, to, to not have them questioning the fact of what you're telling them as the narrator. Uh, they may be questioning what's happened because we we don't exactly know everything that's happened yet. It, it does unfold, but you're not questioning what you were told. Yeah, I agree with all that. I'm still shocked at what he's able to do here because for a good chunk of the novel, uh, novelette, I was thinking, because, I mean, I know it's from Undertow Publications, but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a supernatural element or something like that. It could just be... It could, no, and I didn't expect yeah, it to be. I, this could easily have been, as I said, a story of revenge, one way or the other. Whether it was whether it's Louise' revenge on her husband or Louise and Edward ganging up on uh, Isabel, who is the uh, woman who has that she that he's had a long term relationship. I mean, I think she's a she's a prostitute. Yeah, I think that that's yeah. The, so she well, uh, that's how he perceives her. But yeah. Anyway, whether it's them, those two, uh, you know, fighting against her in some way. The thing that's added on top of that comes out of it doesn't come out that's what's brilliant it doesn't come out of the blue but it does that's what that's the magic trick that i don't understand that's why i can't be and never will be a writer kirsten of fiction because i can't do that i don't that so seamlessly that to make it 
look like it was always there. It was always part of the story. It was always integral to the story. And it's not just something that's magical. Yeah, that, that, that it's not uh, tacked on. It's always been there. And you just didn't know it until it was revealed. To me, that's amazing, frankly. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, it's it's funny because like you've, you're reading and thinking, well, where, this, where could this go? It could be a yeah. revenge story, blah, blah, blah. I never, I never thought that that would be like, to me, I thought where, where this might've been going is it's just a story ab- about this relationship yeah. and what someone will do for a person. Yeah. And, you could, uh, yeah, and correct. It, will, it will get increasingly awful and increasing and it would, it, and that would have been, that would have been a very satisfying yeah, story. publications <laughs> have picked this up because of the body horror element, but ultimately it's a story about a man, a woman and their relationship, etc. But yeah. with some, with some really awful deterioration of the human body in it. But, but no, <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's, it, and, and you're right. That would have been satisfying. There's there is more. a, there is a lot more. Yeah. There's another universe yeah. embedded in this universe. <laughs> it's 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 really amazing and and yeah, I, I'm I yeah uh, I have look I haven't jumped and read now because I, I believe Ruthman writes uh, under a pseudonym mystery novels. Uh, yeah, I think like yeah. mystery thrillers or something. But but given how well he's pulled this off and how, how well he's written this, I, I, yeah, this is a this is a new author to add to my list because this is this is incredible <laughs> piece of writing. It, it really is. And I think even without um, without giving away too much, the other thing that was very, very different about like the final movement of this novel is that, you know, that entity that enters the story. It's not done in a way like you like it normally is like this is not an evil malicious. No, no that's the other brilliant element. Cig- Mustache twirling, yeah. cigar waving, wahaha. It, it like that entity itself, you feel a lot of compassion and empathy yeah. for it and it, it becomes this you know very late in the in the story but it becomes a character it's also in its beautiful right. in a way yeah. that's quite yeah. disturbing no i i really i love this i think it was it was i didn't read it all in one go just because i'm i was tired so i had to stop halfway through and read it again the next night but you definitely could like it's it's not incredibly long. I actually would recommend that you do do it in one sitting. I think this is a book that absolutely, well, a novel that absolutely would get, is better for doing that, for, for zipping, not zipping mm. through it, but for just, because it will take you an hour and a quarter to read. Um, and, and yeah, you, you, so easily it's a one sitting book and you will, yes, if you're in, look, as you said before, actually, you know what? I don't think if you're squeamish about body horror, you shouldn't read this because it's handled so well even though it is pretty gory, but it's still handled very well. It is, it is really, like, the, the yeah. nose. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, there, there's, like, on it, no, I mean, it is, it, it doesn't flinch. It doesn't flinch. So the descriptions are quite graphic, but also, like, in, in a weird way, graphic, but also, um, I don't know, very uh, genteel. It's certainly not gratuitous. And also, I also rub against the idea of, um, something this well written, oh, but it's not for you because you might find it nauseating. When it, as someone, I, I mean, I've read a fuck ton. That's an actual amount that you can measure. A fuck ton of body horror. <laughs> Is that metric it's or imperial? Um, and I, I've uh, it's one end and two ends. I've I've read. Um, yeah, a lot. And, and 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 look, yeah, this is this is pretty full on, but it's not. Yeah, look, I don't know what people's thresholds are, obviously, but. I just think it's so well written. It's not an, oh, I hate saying, oh, but don't read it because you'll feel squeamish. You know what I'm saying? Because 
I'm not, I'm not telling anyone not to read. I'm just saying if it's not your thing, it, it is fairly unrelenting. <sighs> like, like if you get to one of the first scenes early on, it's like, oh, I don't know. It doesn't get better. <laughs> All right, fine. And that's fine. If you, like, that's fine. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, like, there's one particular one-star review that someone gave it, which I'm just, I'm just going to read it out, actually, because it's pretty good. Um, and this is not, like, don't come for the reviewer. But they say, can I give it zero stars? I still get the shivers thinking about it. I love gruesome horror, but this was something else. Not necessarily a spoiler, but the description of her husband scooping and scraping what was left of his nose into a basin makes me nauseous every time I think of it, which is more than I care to admit because I can't get the image out of my head. I will admit I didn't realise it was body horror, as the book jacket nor the reviews allude to such atrocious writing. (laughs) The writing is extremely descriptive, so much that I hear the skin cracking and popping and wounds sucking. I literally held a tissue to my face after page 19. I knew I couldn't do it anymore. In the middle of a sentence, I threw the book in my recycling bin. I didn't want to inflict it on anyone else. (laughs) So if that is something that, like, you will have, like, a strong reaction to this book. And I think that's, I don't think it's fair to give it one star because that's just how you're reacting to this genre. But I think it's a fair reaction. Not a, not a fair review, but a fair reaction. Yeah, all right, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, yes, that's... (laughs) If this kind of, kind of description is going to give you nightmares for the next year, you should not no, have no, to read no, this no, book no matter no, how no, well it's no, written. No, fair enough. <laughs> I accept that. I, I just think, yes, I, I just I just get a bit upset about it because people are missing out on such brilliant structurally and, and and just, yeah, just brilliant storytelling. But that's okay. It is really, it's okay. really I, I good. I moved on. Well, then we probably need to put the same warning on the next book we're about to discuss. Because, well, no, I yeah. would say uh, if you're worried about uh, noses falling off into basins, um, <laughs> what's, your, th- what's your thoughts on eyes? <laughs> what's your th- what, what is the next book? Yeah, well, I'm just saying, in? like, you know, uh, Julia Armfield's Our Wives Under the Sea, which is a terrific title, by the way. Um, mm. oh, it's one of those long, oh, I'll read it anyway. Uh, <clears throat> Miri thinks she's got her wife back when Leah finally returns after a deep-sea mission that ended in catastrophe. It soon becomes clear, though, that Leah is not the same. Whatever happened in that vessel, whatever it was they were supposed to be studying before they were stranded on the ocean floor, Leah has brought part of it back with her onto dry land and into their home. Moving through something that only resembles normal life, Miri comes to realise that the life that they had before might be gone. Though Leah is still there, Miri can feel the woman she loves slipping from her grasp. And then the usual, our wives under the sea is blurdy, 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 blurdy. <laughs> this book is magnificent, read it all. Yes, um, and, and you're right, our wives under the sea absolutely has body horror in it. Uh, but unlike Helpmate, it is diluted, I think, by the length of the book, whereas where Helpmate is fairly unrelenting in, in, in what is happening to Edward. And because it is such a short book, it is, it's very compressed. Whereas, um, our wives under the sea, when the, 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 the graphicness of our wives under the sea is nothing compared to what. No, um, I think that's part of the problem. The, the Ruthman becomes so overt that you just deal, you just get slightly desensitized to it. I mean, you might, you but and I might, and, no, but other people is, are going to throw the book okay. in their recycling yes, bin midway through enough. a sentence. But this is, 
I think the same reader may have the same problem with this, but this is the problem here is that you're right because of the length, because also we've got a way of you know contrasting Leah against the Leah that we get like yeah you know mm. towards the middle half when she really does start to transform, it is icky. I, I mean, I I, I was I icky. was really yeah. uncomfortable with it, and more so than I was with Help Me. I really seriously. That's that is that is really. I don't know if it's because it's so connected to water <laughs> and there's things that are, that become translucent do ick me out. I, I'm never mm-hmm. good with translucency. I just it's. it's be- See, there you go. It's all. Different I know, for but I kept folks. reading though. I didn't say, "Oh shit, where's my recycle bin?" I said, "Look, I know we now have a scene where we can see the characters' organs under their flesh, but I'm going to still go with it." Um- <laughs> <laughs> See, for me, I think. With with helpmate, you do it too. By the way, in your fiction, you've done things like this, and it's always icked me out. I'm glad to no hear problems. It. <laughs> I think with helpmate, like there was never a moment, and it's never intended for there to be a moment where what where Edward's transformation is not disgusting and physically repulsive, and you and you know your mileage is going to vary depending on how well you. Um, deal with such stuff but it you know there isn't it is never meant to at at any time be less than what it is which is really awful whereas I think in our wives under the sea both the actual transformation that is happening to Leah but also the way it's described even even filtered through um, Miri her wife's sort of I guess low-key trauma <laughs> in terms of a reaction to it. it there, there is kind of a beauty to it there you know be, and because we've the book does talk a lot like Leah and, and Mary as well because she recounts what Leah has said to her does talk a lot about you know animals under the sea and deep sea creatures which which are translucent and water-filled and you know can be rather alarming to, to look at sometimes but I think that I mean, it clearly obviously ties in with that. And so there is this this beauty to it. There is this idea, whereas what, what is happening to Edward Wilk in Helpmate is not a natural thing and it is not a transformation that's going to result in an outcome for Edward, <laughs> we think. That is at all continuous. One's an, apotheo- one's an apotheosis, the other one isn't. Isn't that the reason it was... There yeah. we go. Yes. So, so Leah's transformation is something that is, it is a transformation into something for Leah, and that was not the case with Edward. So there is a beauty to yeah. that. But for me, maybe not for you with your translucent water issues, but for me there was a beauty to her actual First transformation. Off, jellyfish, not for me. Okay, let's just put it put it out there. Okay, not for me. Second off, Fair I've enough. gone to aquariums. I've seen some of the weird, wacky stuff, mm. you know, not – yeah, but I've seen it. Again, mm. not for me. Not, not for me. Not for you. The thing is, though, I mean, I don't look at that stuff and just start vomiting out and, 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 and fainting. <laughs> but when it, when it's the human body that's going through that, I do start to mm. get a bit, yeah. Yeah, and fair enough. Especially fair in the enough. scene where, this is later in the novel, where she walks towards Mary and Mary describes the eye sliding down her cheek. That, that That's just, that's that's not, yeah, that's pretty good. I, I still think a less a less confronting scene than what happens with Edward. True, eyes. true, true. <laughs> it, but it's also, it, 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 you know what it is. You know what it is. It's so with oh, oh my god, I can't believe this is what the episode has become. But it's it's that in a sense, Leah is turning into water, 
And it's that transition into another substance that is just, I find really disconcerting. It's, it's just, yeah. Well, I don't know that she's turning into water so much. Well, like uh, this- yes, not, yeah, okay, keep going, keep going. No, but there's this good there's this passage where Leah is actually talking to one of her shipmates under the ocean because we should say like she goes down into this deep 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 submersible um and they're her and two other um of her colleagues and they go down there to do something the 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 actual like they're going to go down and observe and record and stuff but the actual specifics aren't really um said but there and then something happens and well, the ship- well, well, wait, 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 wait. let's just pause there you're right they're there to do research but one of the comedy factors of this or farcical aspects is it when is okay so first off their controlled descent is not controlled they essentially crash to a degree sort of they, they, they lose yes. all power lose all but when they, when they do actually get down to where they're meant to go so they actually get to where they're meant to be deep well, they don't know that's where they're meant to be because they don't even know how far they are. They like Leah suspects they're the, too. The point far is down. when they look through the the the, the visors, whatever. The, they can't. Mm. It's black and mm. there's nothing to see. Yep. And, and that's yep. That, that to me is um, yeah. It's the funny aspect of it that yeah that they don't because. But but that's the concern, and, and they do keep saying, but there should be something because there is always something. There's always something, even in the deepest parts of the ocean. There's always something. Yeah. True. Um, and so that's one of the things that concerns them is that there is – it is a literal void. There is Anyway, nothing. you as you say, they go down, they get trapped. And we and this this is this is alternate chapters. So we get Miri present day dealing with Leah, transforming Leah, and then Leah, uh, essentially a journal of hers, I think is one way – yeah, a journal, where she's essentially talking about this mission. Yeah. It is, it is yes. a written account, yeah. But it's not a journal kept at the time yes. they were under, underwater. Um, it's something she has written at some point because it's very reflective. It's told after the fact, um, so it's not a journal she's oh, keeping contemporaneous. With I thought she happened. started. I thought she sta- I thought she started the journal towards the end of their time undersea. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but yeah, but, but no, it's not it's contemporaneous. Not, no, no, it's not contem- with, correct. Yeah. What I was saying is like there is this that pa- the small passage where she is talking to one of her shipmates about jellyfish, and she, you know, it's it's a beautiful line about it's something along. To the effect of like every almost everything you you're you're seeing when you when you're thinking about what you see when you see when is a jellyfish yep. is just water. The jellyfish itself is is what surrounds the water that gives it its shape, and that feels like what is happening to Leah. She she's it's not that she's just going to become water, but she's becoming a creature that will contain and and be contained by water by salt water because. She's drinking salted water. She's getting salt in her bath. Leah spends most of her time, especially in the second half of the novel, in the bathtub in water because she has to. It's not comfortable for her to be outside of the bath at some point in her transition. The book is just so, oh, my God, this is such a smart book. So first off, it's it's structured uh, going by the layers of the ocean, correct? So starting with the sunlight zone yeah. all yeah. the way down to the the Havel zone. zone. Did you you knew did you know about yeah. these zones, Kirsten? Be honest. I, I did. So I you did. did. You knew about the well Because I'm quite is, I am I'm is, actually is, quite deeply ha, deeply, no pun intended. But I am deeply interested. Is it because in, you've seen the abyss? It maybe began with the <laughs> abyss. 
my, my, my interest in the ocean, like the deep, deep ocean may have begun with movies like The Abyss, but that movie's very, very, I was quite young when I saw it. But no, I, like you show me a documentary about the deep, deep oceans, like I am there. <laughs> I am there. So yes, I did actually know the zones and, and the, you know, the, like, oh, I'm not going to start into my fun facts about the deep ocean. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> No, no, but, but but actually, but but actually, the book a lot of the book is that there were a lot of fact, like the jellyfish factoid. You just said there's a lot of that in the book about the ocean, about the mysteries of yeah. it. The first fucking line of the novel. <gasps> the first line is that is one of my. I'll read it. That I'm going to read it. My like top top I'm twenty of it. I'm going to read lines. it because frankly, it's it. just brilliant. You just said that. Uh, the deep sea is a haunted house, a place in which things that ought not to exist move about in the darkness. It's wonderful because this whole book is a gothic yeah. novel. The whole book is a gothic. It's what is it? Gothic yeah, aquatic or something? Aquatic, aquatic gothic. gothic. I like that. <laughs> it's a new subgenre. Aquatic with gothic. A haunted house at central to it, a submerged one with all the yep. creaking and groanings yep. and madness and, and the voices that some people can hear and some people can't, and the thinking you see things that you don't see, and the uh, the idea that there is this. I'm not even going to say entity, but a, a yes. presence. That is affecting and and targeting individuals, and the gas and the gaslighting from the corporation also that that adds to it too. Exactly about what has happened or what may have happened or what may <laughs> still happen, and the, the the weird bureaucratic hoops that Mary has to jump through to try to get help for Leah and information. Um, and the fact that this corporation, it just disappears. It's just gone. <laughs> the phone no longer works. The building they're in is not like, it's just gone. It's just gone. You know, and then outside of like the, the ocean and the submersible and that section, Mary and Leah's flat is this haunted house. Like there's like the neighbors, oh, which yes. aren't really like, she never actually sees her neighbors, just the TV, yes. which is like a, a presence, like it's again, it's this presence outside of where they are. Like the, the you can look at their apartment as being this second submersible almost. Like there is, you know, stuff, there is a presence outside of it. Yes, Miri can leave it. Leah can't. But Miri can leave it and go and see her, her friend or, or, you know, other things happen. But it's this idea like that, that w- they're, when they're within their apartment, there is there is no one there around them. Um, except this weird presence, emplif- like exemplified by the the the, t- the sound of the TV, yeah. this relentless, too loud sound of the TV. But um, and Leah may or may not have seen the neighbours upstairs, but Mary certainly has never seen them. Not before Leah left, and not since. It's just the TV, and you know they're they're just contained in this apartment in the way that Leah and her colleagues were contained in the submersible with no no way out seemingly and and this presence around them it's 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 really good i loved loved that that this is essentially this really unexpected i mean flagged from the start but an an unexpected gothic novel in the sense of it's if, if it's setting and what is happening and its potential lack of ghosts yeah and without referencing what we discussed last month too directly, it's a novel that doesn't attempt to explain everything in any, in any way, shape or form. It, it, it really does mm. play into that gothic element of that, that sense of ambiguity and doubt and fear. Now, I know a lot of gothic novels, traditional gothic novels, you know, the, the villain is revealed or whatever it is is revealed ultimately because that, you know, there is, but not well, sort of, not sort of. 
I, lo- I, I guess a lot of um, like when where the novels where the genre came from, a lot of those were um, very much your classic Scooby-Doo, you know, and, and the ghost or the entity was actually revealed Correct. as a human being doing very human things and things were explained and not, not, not all of them, but, but the genre has moved a long way in a couple hundred years. So, um, <laughs> and the contemporary Gothic does very often deal with the unexplained and the inexplicable because as soon as you provide the thorough explanation as soon as you do that the gothic collapses the contemporary gothic collapses in on itself and arguably the the originary texts as well collapse in on themselves they as soon as you reveal that it was actually oh the lord of the manor who was doing this or oh this crazy monk who was as soon as you do that everything which made it the gothic the uncertainty the hauntings the gap all of that just collapses and it becomes a mundane story and what I think a lot of contemporary Gothic work does is it it, it refuses to collapse that yeah. Gothic possibility and it maintains the Gothic sensibilities until the end and that they're the works I love the most. And so I appreciated that, you know, and I guess it's a, a spoiler of sorts, but it's a spoiler of nothing. We never find out <laughs> why their ship got stuck at the bottom of the ocean for six months. We no. never find out what that that presence if there was a presence was about we never find out it's amazing yeah. uh, the, although i think armfield's done some work to give you enough if you want to figure if you want to yeah. if you want to but there's no, not the, like there's no scientist comes in at the end with a clipboard <laughs> going so blah 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 you know leah's journal doesn't end with and then we were told this is what the situation you know like that is not <laughs> that present that would be a great last chapter Hello, <laughs> my name is Mr. <laughs> Scientist. You know, or, or, you know, finding another document. Mary is sent another document or her sister gives her another document. Sorry, not Mary's sister, Leah's sister, who comes in in the very late stages of the novel, um, has said, oh, by the way, I found this document. You know, none of that is there. And I'm really glad because it would have collapsed the Gothic. It would have done that. And that, for me, at least as a reader, your mileage may vary other people but for me um that can just just ruin what what has yeah i agree Uh, look thematically so we've talked about i suppose structurally tonally um what the book's Mm. trying to do but thematically it's a book about loss because one of the things that it does really well it's not just the the miri's loss of the leah she remembers and i really loved also just the their their pre Leah goes underwater relationship. I just love how wonderful. And this, this mm. is something that she does really well in her short fiction as well, really building female relationships and, 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 and showing them for what, you know, for the love that there is. This is, this is two people who are head over heels in love with each other. So yeah. it's not yeah. that sort of angsty thing, um, that, which, is, which is really nice. But also um, Miri's um, relationship with her mother, which, um, and, and that loss, mm. and that's, that is really central to the book too. So it's just loss and it's just so mourning that loss to, if you can, if you're able to, it's just pervasive in the book and, yeah. and, and beautifully yeah. done, really, really beautifully done. It's, yeah, oh, it's sad too. Not to, to get, yeah, to get the juxtaposition between the relationship that Mary and Leah had prior to Leah going on this mission with what it is now, it is, yeah, it's really poignant, really sad. And it's not as though 
it's all rose-colored glasses about before, you know, because yeah. like any couple who who are, who are married and or, and or have been together for a while, you know, there's there's little bits of pettiness and and bits of friction and stuff, and but that's all part of, you know, it's not presented as well. There were cracks. It's like no, that's just part of human relationships. Not you know, it's it's was absolutely beautifully done. And it really gave us a sense of who Leah was as well before what yeah. happened. So I did see one person note in criticism uh, that there's maybe too many water metaphors in the in the book, but I didn't notice that. I no, I don't think there's too many because that is the book. <laughs> they did. <laughs> that say, is the know, book. As you said before, your mileage may vary on that point. I, I, yeah. I think you're right. It is a book about water. It is a book about the sea. I mean, it would be bizarre if it didn't have those. I mean, I can. Yes, you can over egg the pudding. I don't think she does though. I don't. I don't think she ever does at any point. No, I. I, I don't think so because I mean, like, in both of the the narrative lines that go through the story. I mean, Leah and her colleagues are like just immersed in water. Can, can I just read one sentence that that absolutely is just. I, this is amazing, and it sort of plays to this point. Uh, it's and this is just an just a, 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 a offhanded description. Um, mist muscles up to the windows each morning, aggressive in its density and the way it seems to gather up the light. I mean, I like that. I, look, I'd have to go back and do a close reading, but my impression was that all of that, like in Mary's story, all of that references to water and wetness and dampness. Whenever she leaves the apartment and goes to have coffee with her friend whose name I can't remember or goes to meet Leah's sister later or just goes to It's not Leah's sister. It's not Leah's sister. It's the crew member. Oh, sorry. Member, the it's crew. the sister of oh, – yes, you're right. The, 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 the sister of the cr- one of the crew members it's, who yes. died. Leah's the only one who gets to the surface, the other crew members. Well, no, that's not true. Leah's the only one who survived. So one of the crew members doesn't get to the surface and the other one yes. has died. And we won't say any more than that. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Leah is the only survivor. So, yeah, no, sorry. I, I, yes, I've completely said that wrong. It's the sister of the, the colleague who did not yes. make it back to the surface. But, yeah, what I was saying was when Mary leaves the apartment, I, I feel like, and I might be wrong, but I feel like those water references fall away. And it's almost like she gets to take a breath in the air as opposed to being surrounded by water when she's at home. Um, literally and figuratively. Like I, again, I'd have to do a close reading. I may be wrong about that, but that's the impression I've I've come away with. Everything felt quite dry and and sunny and light filled when she left the apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although again, there's that drifting apart. One of the things that, and again, one of the things the book does really well is it talks about, as I said, loss but grief. There's this wonderful passage about how grief is selfish. It's a selfish thing and 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 it says it in a way that i'd never thought of before about and it's it's one of those times where an author has come to a profound truth and yeah it communicates so beautifully in the text of the novel it really is a great book about mourning and loss and grief and and frankly that is what the book is. is about more so than the aquatic gothic stuff as brilliant as it is it is what the book is about but it's really about that stuff that i just said that's yeah. the genre of the book but let's not forget that everything you've talked about, grief and loss and mourning, is a stalwart yes, yes, of the yes, gothic. Yes, true, true. <laughs> major, major, major theme true. there. 
so like you know the, the 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 gothic is its it's its structure it's its genre it's it's how it is exploring this but yeah the theme the thematic concerns of the book is grief and trauma and i think the way mary is presented she's so well drawn this is a person who is locked in trauma for yeah. the whole book she will move into a post traumatic state <laughs> at some point after the end but this whole like this whole book is it's tr- and she can't get out it's like um you know she's in this situation and she has to deal with Leah and she has to deal with the the day-to-day like paying bills and doing this and and trying to get a hold of the the company that Leah worked for and she's trying to do all of this while she's in this traumatized state she's shut down emotionally for, for much of the book because she has to be in order to deal with the day-to-day. And it is so beautifully depicted. Um, and it explains her her lack of action in certain areas, which might otherwise seem just a bit weird. Like, why doesn't she go up and talk to the neighbours who won't turn the yeah. damn TV down? Because you don't, because that's not necessary. And when you're in trauma, you only do what's yeah. necessary. And she was just beautifully, beautifully drawn. So I, I love this book. I have a couple of reservations. <laughs> That, I, that for me felt like um, missteps. But, well, two specific things, um, and they're both they're both kind of near the end. So, in terms of I guess the the structure and the rhythms of the book, we I mean we all knew what was going to happen with Leah. We we knew, and this is spoilers, people. So if you don't want to hear them, yeah. So she takes Leah from her apartment to the house that yes. was her mother's, right? To, which is near yes. the ocean. And and there's this wonderful bit that she's written about beforehand where, and I honestly can't remember which character, which in which character's narrative this is, but there's this, this little brief discussion about you always know where, some, where a story is going to end up. If you're reading a werewolf story, your protagonist is going to turn into a werewolf at some point. If you're reading a vampire story, like, so it's this nod to the reader that we know where this is going and I'm not trying to surprise you or, or spring some completely. We, we know where this is going and that's not why you're reading. Yeah. You're not reading to be utterly surprised like, like in Help Me by <laughs> the turn it takes at the end. And, and you read that and you go, yeah, no, you're right. Let's, let, let's continue. And I was expecting you know leah is going to end up released into the ocean right but before that happens she puts her in the bath again in her like and that seems to actually been been mary's thing i'm just going to take her from our apartment to my mother's house and also put her is the whole and, and it's only that... after she gets to her mother yeah house, yeah keep going sorry apologies yeah keep going i'm just saying it's like it only it's like the the idea that she should put leah into the ocean seems to, unless I've misread it, genuinely seems to only occur to her at her mother's house. And that, I think, is the misstep. I've got no problem with her going, I'm going to release her into the ocean, but I can't just sit. I'll keep her in the bathtub for a little while longer until I really, really have to. But the the, the, I, like the, the way her thought process has been going and what she is, it just, it felt... It just felt like a. a I didn't slight read it that way. I kink. thought that was always her intent. I think she, she just couldn't let her go straight away. That she had to hold on to her. Exactly what you've just said. Yeah, I'd All have right. to find the line, but it it felt like the the idea of releasing her into the ocean has only kind of 
come into her head when she's gotten to her mother's house. And then it, it's just weird. I mean, and it may be the way I've read it, but it, that just felt like I don't – it seemed to break the rhythm. It seemed to break the rhythm of the narrative for me. That's one deal breaker. What's the but second? But the other thing, which is more – it's not a deal breaker, for goodness sake. <laughs> um, but the other thing which I, it just kept niggling at me is, I guess, the explanation of, of how we're reading Leah's journal. Oh, my God, this is your bugbear in every novel we ever read. It's it. The thing, the explanation didn't didn't make sense in terms of how the the company acts around everything, why the sister of Leah's colleague would even end up with that journal. Why, wouldn't, why would the company give that over? They're so secretive. They're so reluctant to release information. They, want to, they don't want anything it known about anything the fact that they would give over this that they wouldn't have thoroughly searched everybody's like the ship and everybody's personal effects that came up because they were in quarantine you know it wasn't like it, the ship washed up on a beach and someone found it like the, the the company retrieved it everyone went into quarantine they did whatever they did the idea that they would not have come across this journal or wouldn't have flicked it open and read it and gone oh no this doesn't get out that felt just like just a way to, to explain to the reader, oh, here's, here's how you're reading Leah's narrative. And Leah's narrative was perfect. I didn't even need to know how I was reading it. Don't tell me. By telling me, you've made me think about the logistics of, of, of whether or not I could have ever no, been in a position you, to read it. If they had not told you, you would have said, because you've done the past, you would have said, well, how did we even get to read the journal in the first place? You wouldn't have. Okay. No, because, because she has, it's enough <laughs> that it's written. Um, I could have presumed it was written while she was, okay. you know, however, but, but the just letting, like, it just goes against what's been set up about this company. To be honest, I don't think we know enough about this company beyond the fact that they are bureaucratic. But I, the fact that they disappear doesn't mean that they've got some uh, system in place. The fact that they won't even tell the family and the spouses of these people who disappeared, anything about what happened to them, like anything. I think they got what they wanted, whatever that was, if they wanted anything at all, because frankly, none of it makes sense. And I think they don't care. I think they just don't care. And it's not like this journal. I well, okay, it. but it's not like this journal, given the company has vanished, it's not It's not like this journal is going to have an effect on anything or anyone or that even Miri would be able to share. I mean, let's say she does share it with uh, an investigative journalist. It would just be the ravings of a mission that no one can find any evidence of. So uh, to me, it's, it's, that's not, not – I, I, I thought it was just a too, a too convenient no, way yeah. to, to get the journal. And I would have been more than happy to not even know how I was reading this journal. Because it doesn't have to have been presented to me. It can be something no, fair that, that, that Leah's uh, written that doesn't even exist anymore. I don't agree I think you're wrong, but I can also, <laughs> no, but I can also <laughs> see that it is an, uh, in a book that is not trying to be plotty in, the, in a thriller sort of way, that mm. is one element that does sort of stick out. Yeah. It sticks out. It's like, oh, here's, here, let's explain how, how, how Leah's journal is, is something that is part of this book. And it's like, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't need it. You know, I, I would have just made an assumption that this is maybe locked in an archive box in the vaults of whatever the I always wonder why records. even bother. It didn't even have to be a journal. It didn't have to be anything. It could have just been her thoughts at the time. I know that they're reflective. but And I know you, know you would have then said, well, they're written in first person. They should have been written in third person then or something. But 
I don't, I, none of that ever bothers me. I, I always go sort of cock my eyebrow when we're told, oh, this ended up being a diary or this is a, I don't need it. No, it's in first person. It's a, it's a style it choice. Yeah, it could have actually just, um, it could have just been Leah's, I guess, thoughts, like while, while she's in the apartment. I think that's what I first assumed it was. It was just Leah thinking about what's happened. And then at some point... Not not too far on, but but a significant way. Um, something is said, or or there's a line where it makes it clear that oh no. Okay, fine. But my default view of any first person text I read is that it's just the thoughts of the character, and none of this is written down anywhere. And I always cock my eyebrow when at some point in the story the author feels the need to tell us no 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 this actually is written down. You didn't need to. It was fine. It's uh, just because something's written in first person doesn't mean everyone's holding. It's a these are journal entries. No, absolutely not. But it's made clear that this is. And it's, it's made clear even before. Um, only the two of us, only the two of us could spend five minutes on a book that we both unanimously <laughs> love talking about the first person element of the book. That, it's your fault. It's you. It's it's the journal element. How did the journal make its way to Miri? It, it's too convenient. But Waving the thing is, hands. it's like there is a difference. There, there, there is like on a on a craft level, and and shut up. I'm explaining this, right? As a as like there is a difference between a first person yeah. narrative that you just feel is like it's just in someone's head, whatever. It's not written down, and and that's fine. And as with you, that's yeah. my default, which is why it was my default when I started reading Leah's yeah. sections. But there is a difference between that. And being presented with a first-person narrative that is explicitly a reflective piece that a character in the novel is writing because they're writing it for – then they're writing it for a reason. Then they are writing what they're writing for reasons. They're not writing about certain things for reasons. This becomes something completely different that as a reader you treat that testimony very differently than if you're just in what happens to be – I hear you. I just, I just know you've known you for so long, and I know this sort of stuff drives <laughs> you mad. Even, even in a book that it's you adore, just... this is the stuff that just because it's just disappointing. If that wasn't that awkward little, here's the explanation for how Leah's journal ends up being, and then, and then we're making the assumption that okay, well then, Mary has read this journal. And at what point, like, you know, then it starts to intersect with Miri's narrative as well and you start thinking about all this stuff that you probably shouldn't no, really worry to be about fair, but because to it's be been fair, flagged, you, you start you thinking about it. I don't I, think I'm the I, only well, one. <laughs> well, okay. Um, so so one reviewer thinks about there are too many water metaphors and that can't, you know, that's the, you loved it, but that you are thinking about the journal. <laughs> and me, I'm just going with the flow, which is a perfectly appropriate for a book that's about water so uh, and about the ocean. And I didn't have an issue with it at all. And frankly, um, uh, yeah, look, look, no, they're fair enough. I hear what you're saying. And look, I don't entirely disagree with you. Okay. But, 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 <laughs> but I just felt, yeah, the, the, you're right. And you did say, you just start by saying these are quibbles, these are not. Deal breakers. No, absolutely not. It's just like the the thing about the journal is just a. It's just a because the book is so good, right? If the book was mediocre, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is so good and so beautifully and thoughtfully and carefully crafted that that bit about the explanation for for why Miri 
has the journal when Miri doesn't even need to have had the journal. Miri never needs to have read this journal for, for the purposes of what the book is doing. That is like, why? It's like a flaw now in my very perfect diamond. <laughs> Well, Julia Armfield, if you're listening to this, uh, Kirsten is uh, contactable and you can explain as to why why you decided to, to put this crack into the diamond. I don't want any more explanations. I've had enough of explanations. Okay, all right. Yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> that will remain a mystery. Yes, no, fair enough. That's that's all right. Uh, look, can we, yes, can we end on a positive note for both these books? They are both terrific. We've we've made yeah, efforts not to spoil really, too much really of Meat. Our Wives Under the Sea, as you've pointed out, plot-wise, is really not a spoiler type of book, as in, you know, where this is ending up. But There's an inevitability. Having said that, there are some really interesting things in it that, that not took me by surprise, but were just, oh, wow, um, even transcendent moments. Uh, and, look, just, just because you know where you're going to end up, it doesn't mean everything that happens along the way is expected and it's not. Because if, if that was the case, 22 million people wouldn't be watching bloody Tower of Dragons or, or The <laughs> exactly. Rings of Power, would they? Because we know where those stories are ending up. Um, let's wrap up, Kirsten. Let us wrap up. Let us wrap up. I am just really happy I read both of these books. I greatly I enjoyed too. both of them. And for me, they were very, very different reading experiences in terms of the, the body horror elements, I guess. Yes, they, no, they're beautiful. Okay, so our, um, I believe this is actually our penultimate episode next month. Cause for this year. Well, it might be forever. <laughs> it might be forever. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Don't know. um, <laughs> what yeah, will the summer exactly. bring? <laughs> um, so next episode, which will be the October episode, will feature uh, January 15th by Rachel Swirsky, which is a novella. So looking forward and to reading that. Patricia Wants to Cuddle by Samantha Allen, which is a short novel, which is a novel, and it, but it's another short one. It's probably around about the length of Our Wives Under the Sea. I think it is anyway. I could be wrong. I haven't really looked at it. I don't even know why I'm saying any of that because that, that was just complete. Okay, so you chose the Swirsky. <laughs> I chose the Allen. I chose the Allen based purely on its cover uh, and the fact that its title is Patricia Wants to Cuddle. I mean, wouldn't you read a book with that title? We're about to anyway, so you don't have a choice. It is, um, it is a... An intriguing title. I, for me, and this may just be the type of reader I am, it sounds really creepy. It does. <laughs> I hope it's creepy. why does she want to cuddle? <laughs> and is she foisting her cuddles? Mm. Um, if you do look at the cover, the cover is awesome. Really. I, I will have a look at the cover. I haven't bought the book yet, but I obviously I will. Um, but it's funny, isn't it? Because it's like if that was a title of a children's book, like an illustrated yeah. picture book. <laughs> It'd be really sweet and wholesome and lovely, but as a as a book maybe written for adults, it's like there's something really creepy about that title. Yeah, um, and I um and I chose the Swirsky because I I love Rachel Swirsky's short fiction. I've not read enough of it. Really love her work. And January fifteenth. Well, you know, it's probably been a while since we've had a good left wing socialist book about the workers and <laughs> workers' rights and um, capitalism and so on on this podcast. So good book, right up my alley. I hope, and I trust Swirsky to to do good work with it. Okay, so yes, uh, yes, Swirsky for the win. Um, please send feedback by. <laughs> <laughs> You really just got to end with Swirsky for the win. Well, not now because you've gone and commented on it, haven't you, Kirsten? It was perfectly fair enough. <laughs> no, I can cut it out. It's fine. Don't cut it out, Keep it. The, the, the fans love our uh, 
<laughs> Love our mistakes. Please send feedback by commenting at the website, writerandcritic.podbean.com. Send an email to writerandcritic at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, writerandcritic, where I'm meant to be looking after, but I never do. Uh, and sponsor us on Patreon, and thank you for those who do. Thank you very much. And on that note, uh, before I knock out the hub on my iPad again, and it runs out of battery, uh, that's it for me. Uh, I'm done. I'm good. I am good too. I am very good. I am looking forward to the next two books and I'm very happy about the books that I just read. And I just want to do a little shout out for the book that I'm currently reading, which is another book by Undertow and it's The Ghost Sequences by AC Wise, which is really, really cool. And we probably won't get to talk about it on the podcast um, because it will just be, you know, yet another thing that I read. But it's a book of short stories and they're really smart and really clever. And um, yeah, if if people have liked Helpmeet, and other Undertow books that we've talked about, I think you'll love that one. So um, just a shout out. Love it. The books that I'm reading, they're on the Locust website. Okay. Anyway, bye. See ya. Alrighty. Bye, bye everyone. Maybe we can be a republic now.